Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. And I want to pick up from what I began teaching last Wednesday evening on the subject, why some people don't receive their healing. And you see, that sounds like it's pretty negative, especially on Healing Sunday. Well, you know, sometimes if you deal with the negatives, it helps us to better understand certain truths and locate ourselves so that we can be free in spirit and receive from God. Amen? But first, let's pray before we look at the Word of God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the privilege of studying Your Word together. We study it by the power and ability of the Holy Ghost who is within us. We unleash His teaching ministry right now in our lives, believing to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I ask that you think through my thoughts and speak through my lips that I may effectively communicate the word of life that will set us free. We'll give you all the glory and honor for all that's achieved among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Mark eleven twenty three, we want to emphasize just really one, one word here. It says, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say in this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Notice the word believe. Believe. Believe what? Well, it says believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. But I want to focus on the word believe. And just hold that thought in mind for a moment as I reiterate just a few points to lead us up to this particular verse. Addressing the question why some people don't receive their healing will help us to locate ourselves and find out exactly where we are at when it comes to receiving healing through divine means. It will also help us make adjustments within our own lives so that we can be in a better position to receive from the Lord for ourselves. Now, we're not just talking about physical healing. There's also emotional deliverance that people need. And it's needed probably more so than even physical healing within the body of Christ. Well... When things that are supposed to work don't work in a person's life, what should they normally do? If your plumbing doesn't work in your house, do you go out and buy a new one? Do you? If the electricity doesn't work in your home, do you go out and buy a new house? Do you? If things don't work around the house, I, I guess you better learn how to fix it. Wouldn't you think? Now, cars, I don't know. They're a strange breed, wouldn't you say? And you try to count the cost between should you fix this thing or should you get a new one? And I mean, it's really half a dozen one, six of another. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? But basically, when things don't work like they should, we usually get them fixed. Why do we get them fixed? Because we know it should work. Right? So if you plug in your curling iron into an electrical outlet and nothing happens, but you plug it into another and something does happen, then something is wrong there. And there might be a, a loose connection or maybe this, uh, the, the switch itself went bad. Something happened. Something went bad. And so you see, you know it's supposed to work and so what you do is you go and get it fixed. You put the wires together. You make the right connections or whatever and then it works. And you do that because you believe in it. You believe that it works. You know that it works. And so you're not going to stop until you get that thing fixed and working right. Isn't that true? Okay. Then why is it that very often when people don't receive, let's say, a prayer answered or a need met, many times they'll just go on and forget about it. Just go on and forget about it and do something else. Because you see, beloved, we're not as diligent when it comes to spiritual things. And we need to become more diligent knowing that prayer should work. Isn't that true? And faith works. Isn't that true? 
And so then instead of taking a nonchalant attitude when things don't come together and things don't happen, we should be all the more diligent to find out why it didn't happen, why it didn't work, and then make the right adjustments and then make the right connections so that it will work like it should. Amen? And that's why we want to do this. And so one thing we said was, first of all, some reasons why people don't get healed is because of a lack of knowledge with regard to the subject of divine healing and health. And that's found in Hosea 4, 6, where it says, My people perish for the lack of knowledge. And what that really means is there's not enough working knowledge of the Word of God to produce a steadfast faith within the person's heart to receive or obtain their need met. And if you were to, to poll the entire body of Christ today, beloved, you would discover that many do not know a whole lot about the subject of divine healing and, and health. Why? Because they've not become or been taught to become students of the subject. In many years in our churches, the subject was very lightly touched, if at all. And that would be okay if the other were not true. And the other is this. From the pulpit, many have taught things destructive to the faith of people when it comes to receiving healing from God. And we call those things traditions that are handed down from one generation to the next. And we'll address a few of those in a moment. But another thing we said that can hinder a person from receiving healing is found in, just write it down, Mark 6, 5 and 6, is community unbelief. Community unbelief. Now, I did this on Wednesday. I'm just going to real quickly go through it. Quickly go through it. And community unbelief means we associate it with people all around us that really don't have much understanding about divine healing and health and therefore we're always talking sickness and disease. And as a result of that community unbelief, it's hard for people to receive their healing. And basically, when you're in an atmosphere or an environment, you realize that you become a byproduct of that environment if you're not careful. You may be a person who doesn't like to talk about people, but if you get among ten that do, your chances aren't too good to get by that day. Isn't that true? You know it's true. Because, you see, if we're not careful, then the characteristics, let's say, that dominate certain people's lives can also dominate yours. And so it's, it's important that we watch who we associate with. You can be in a work environment where, you know, let's say in a hospital where there's nothing but sickness and disease all around you. And I'll tell you what, you just develop such a, almost a faith in the effect of sickness and disease because you see it so often. And you see so few being helped like they should or being healed. And so as a result of that environment, there is developed within the heart of the person community unbelief. And it's very difficult to get people helped in that atmosphere. The third thing I brought out is found right here. It's what people believe. Because what they believe in their heart is what they're going to say with their mouth. And we all need to be aware of what we are saying because what we are saying for the most part is what we believe and some people believe because they've been taught to believe that God makes people sick and really for the most part you can't fault them if that's what they're hearing from their pulpit God makes people sick God wants people to be sick and so they've been taught that and they believe that you know, and then they might try to go to God for help out of desperation or whatever, but they've been taught that God makes them sick for a reason. And as a result of that teaching and that belief within their heart, then they begin to accept the fact that God made them sick. And as a result of God making them sick, they have to be sick for the rest of their life or for the duration of the disease. That person, before he or she can be helped, has got to be taught that God does not make people sick. God is not the author of sickness and disease. You see, and unless that understanding comes, their wires of faith are never going to be connected. Because there's something working against faith that will prevent connection from being made. God wants people well. God does not want people sick. God does not make people sick. God makes people well and whole. And so that has to be understood. So if a person believes that God makes them sick, then that's going to be a problem and they've got to overcome that. You've got to get that out of their computer 
and put some new thoughts in to them and program them properly. Now, if you want to look at it just from a logical perspective, you'll find out that many who say that God makes them sick go to doctors and seek medical help when it comes to being healed. Isn't that true? Well, if that's the case, that God made them sick and God wants them sick, why do they go to a doctor? Every doctor and every nurse would be defying God Himself for trying to help people get well when God supposedly made them sick. But see, sometimes we don't even use reason or logic. We just throw it out the window. But I've talked with people that would actually say, well, God has made me this way and I have to be this way. And I would even ask the question, well, why are you going to the doctor then? If God wants you that way, why are you going for help? Something inside you is telling you to go get help to get better, but yet with your mouth you're telling me that God made you this way and wants you this way. It makes no sense to me. It makes more sense to say, well, I'm sick and I need to get better and I'm going to see a doctor to get some kind of help because he wants me well and so does God. Besides, what doctor is bigger than God anyhow? If God wants you sick and the doctor wants you well, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Who? Boy, that kind of nips that thing in the bud, doesn't it? Miles, just forget it because if God really wants you that way, you're not going to get better. Okay? Another thought, what people believe. What people believe. People believe that sickness glorifies God. And they'll take an isolated text or a scripture and they'll build a doctrine on it and ignore all the other scriptures that teach otherwise. But sickness and disease does not glorify God. If it does and if it did, then you know that Jesus and the Holy Ghost robbed God the Father of all His glory? Do you know that? How many of you know that's true? Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil to rob His Father of all His glory. It doesn't say that, does it? It said because God was with them. And when they got healed from their sickness, the Bible says, and then they glorified God. Doesn't it say that in the Bible? Amen. And so, if people have been taught that, we've got to be like an electrician, go in there and get that wire and take that thing out and put in something new. See? Get rid of that kind of uh, mentality and that belief and put something new on the inside of them. Now, another thing that's been taught from behind pulpits today is that the age of miracles is past. And if the age of miracles is past, well, then obviously you can't expect a miracle from God. And so you've got to go to natural means to try to get help because God's not doing any miracles today. Well, I guess God's must, he must be tired. Right? He took a sabbatical. He's on a sabbatical for a while. I say it this way. As long as there is a human alive on this earth, there is a need. And as long as there is a human need on this earth, there is a God, a living God, ready and willing and able to meet human needs. Amen? And besides, there was never, ever, ever, ever an age of miracles. Never. Did you know that? Never an age of miracles. There's always been a God of miracles. And He's still alive today. And if He's alive today, He's still doing miracles today. Amen? So, there's never been an age of miracles, but there's always been a God of miracles. And so, that concept or that thought has got to be kicked out. Kick that computer chip out. And put on a new one that says the age of miracles has never been, but the God of miracles is. And God is still a miracle worker today. And if He'll do a miracle for anybody, it'll be for me. Amen? Amen? Amen. What about for you? Isn't that true? Amen. Okay. Another thought is this. Well, we've been taught that God heals, but He doesn't heal everyone. And so you really can't know if you're the one to get healed. Hmm, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Isn't that tricky? Well, if that's the case, then I would say we need special revelation when it comes to praying for people. In other words, I cannot have a general altar call this morning. Because if that's the case, that God doesn't heal everyone, then we have got to find out which ones He wants to heal. Right? We should have had people put their name on a card when they first came in and then, you know, somehow get them together and pray over all those names and find out, now, which one of these, Lord, do you want to heal today? Because, you know, we don't know which one. Because you don't heal all, you heal some, but not everybody. Where'd you ever hear a thing like that? We've heard it taught behind pulpits everywhere. But, beloved, that's not the truth. The Bible says God's not willing any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But many don't get saved. 
The Bible says Jesus bore our sickness and carried our pain, and that is for everyone who heals all our diseases as well as forgives all of our sins. So that's including, it's all-inclusive, it means every single person. And so the right thought and belief is that God heals everyone. Now, why is it that not everyone gets healed? That's a different story. But our belief should be that God is in the healing business and God wants everybody well. He wants everybody whole and healed just like He wants everybody saved. And so that is the, the way we approach God with that understanding. Other than that, we'd have to have a special revelation from God to say, well, it's his, He wants to heal so-and-so today. Another thought is people have been taught to pray when it comes to being healed, if it be thy will. And they'll approach the throne of God saying, Well, now, Lord, I know I'm not worthy to come before your presence, but if it be thy will that you would heal me, then please heal me. And they've been taught that. They really have been taught that. They've been taught to pray that way. But if they really approach God in that manner, they have been not taught to approach the Father according to the Scriptures. Because the Bible says in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. We determine the will of God not through prayer. We determine it through the Word. And so one then must conclude that it is the will of God for them to be healed before they ever approach Him. And then once they conclude that it is His will, they can go before His presence and say, Father, I know it is Your will to heal me. And this is the confidence that I have in You. Since healing belongs to me, I'm asking You now to heal my physical body. But if they approach saying, Lord, heal me if it be Thy will, the wire is disconnected. Can you see that? The wire is disconnected. Or a fuse is blown. Or the circuit breakers, you know, went out. And all that. They broke the circuit. God wants us to have these questions answered so that we know certain reasons why people don't receive from God. And beloved, saying it is one thing, but being delivered from it is another. When you've been taught bad doctrine, do you know it wants to stick with you? It's like mashed potatoes. You know what I mean? wants to stay with you. And little do we realize and little do we know just how affected we are on the inside of us. Our believing parts are affected by negativism. And all those doctrines that people have heard and been taught over the years stay with them and they're hard to get rid of. I've had people say, Bible or no Bible, that's the way I was taught it and that settles it. That's how I believe it. I said, my heart goes out to you. I feel so bad for you. But even though you gave them what the Bible says, they've been taught that all their lives and they're not changing any of their belief. You know, you really do hit a person where he lives when you start talking about what he believes. And we've all been there before. I remember getting pretty out of it myself and somebody dared talk to me about my religious belief. I thank God I've since had my mind renewed to the Word of God. Now I know I don't know anything. <laughs> but I thank God for what I do know. <laughs> Amen. Another thing is, and this is a classic, it's so classic, I, I want you to turn there with me. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's Paul's infamous thorn in the flesh. Some people are never, ever going to receive their healing from the Lord until they settle the question and the issue of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Some have actually said, like Paul, I have a thorn in my flesh. Some have actually said, I have Paul's thorn in the flesh. Ooh, imagine all the germs passed on Paul's thorn <laughs> since way back when that was written. <laughs> Can you imagine? I wouldn't want any part of that thing, would you? Can you imagine all the blood all over it and all that and all the germs and bacteria and all that stuff on Paul's thorn? I don't want anything to do with Paul's thorn in the flesh, do you? Well, in the first place, Paul's thorn in the flesh was not a sickness and it was not a disease. As you can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And if you look up that particular expression throughout all the Bible, 
where it talks about a thorn in the side or a thorn in the flesh, you will know it means something similar to our expression today, a real pain in the neck. Did you ever hear that? Did you ever, did you ever say that? What do you mean when you say pain in the neck? Do you mean a literal, physical pain in the neck? Do you mean that? No, that's just, you know, you're just expressing a thought, trying to communicate to somebody else that something or someone is annoying you. Anybody ever annoy you? (laughs) You've never been annoyed, right, in this life. God bless you. Hallelujah. (laughs) Have you ever annoyed anyone? (laughs) No, certainly you have never annoyed a soul, right? Never. Not one person have you ever annoyed. Okay? Now, Paul is saying here, this messenger or this particular thorn is in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. And if you go back and read in the Old Testament, you'll discover that they said the, that the Canaanites or the Hittites or the Jebusites or whateverites, they were thorns in our sides. I, I don't think human beings were sticking out the Israelites' sides, do you? I don't think so. So it's not talking about a physical something. It's talking about that the people there were like to them a thorn in the side. Have you ever had a splinter that you could not get out? That absolutely drove you crazy? I mean, you try to get that little bugger out, but it just wouldn't. And it's just a small, tiny little thing, right? But it annoys you. And every time you try to do something, you ever have one of those that when you just, just rub your little finger on something like that real lightly, just, I mean, it just drives you, the pain, it just shoots right to your head. Little splinter, little wood chip or something like that inside your finger. Wouldn't you call that a thorn in the flesh? Wouldn't you call that an annoying thing? Sure you would. Okay? And so, but people say, well, that was an eye disease that Paul had. Or that was a physical, you know, problem that Paul had. But wait a minute. Let Paul answer the question, and let's find out what it really was. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. And if I can give that to you real quickly in the Greek, my miracle working ability and operational power is more than enough for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, go on back up to verse 7, once again, and let's find out what this thorn was. The messenger, look at after the thorn in the flesh, the messenger, the messenger. Now, how many of you think that Paul was carrying a messenger in his side or in his flesh? The messenger of Satan to buffet me. The word messenger right there in the Greek is, is found 188 times in the New Testament. 181 times it is translated angel. Seven times it's translated messenger. So as you can see, it's talking about an emissary. An angel of Satan was sent to annoy, to annoy Paul Everywhere he went. If he would go here to preach, that messenger of Satan would stir up people to annoy him and make his preaching difficult. Do you ever try to witness to somebody and all of a sudden the atmosphere seems to change and all of a sudden it seems like everybody's coming from here and they're out of the woodwork, whatever, to see to it that you can't witness to that person? Satan sends messengers to go about to see to it that he shuts the mouths of those that will proclaim the good news of the gospel to people. That's what he does. And that's what he was doing to Paul. And Paul was preaching the gospel at that particular time to the known Gentile world. Why wouldn't he want to stop Paul from preaching? Sure he would. But it wasn't a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem. A messenger or an angel of Satan that was sent to see to it that everywhere he went, He would stir up people to annoy him, to stop him, and discourage him from preaching the gospel. I mean, haven't there been times that you've been discouraged by the people that you came into contact with when trying to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Certainly. And Paul says, well, I prayed, and the Lord said, my grace or ability is more than enough for you to take care of that problem. And besides, we're never told in the Bible in the New Testament to pray to God to do something about the devil. 
and his emissaries. We're told to do what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't that true? Absolutely. And so then, once again, people have got to settle it once and for all that they don't have Paul's thorn. I'm sorry. They don't have Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, you might have a messenger sent to you once again to trouble you, but you don't have Paul's physical sickness or disease and you're not carrying something around because Paul did to humble you. Okay, another thought was found, and just write it down, Philippians 2 and verse 30, and it talks about another reason why some fail to receive healing from the Lord is because of violating natural laws. Ouch! You've never violated a natural law, have you? Well, you're talking about natural laws. Well, like, you know, that little law of rest. Have you ever violated that law? Have you ever gone for days and days and really didn't get the kind of rest that you should? Have you ever done that? Anyone here ever guilty of that? No, not none of you, right? Not any of you. Well, we've all done things like that, and then we kind of wonder why there's a, a small breakdown in our system. And we're so exposed to receiving a sickness or a disease in our physical body. But our bodies are not supposed to be overworked like that. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What if I was doing the work of the Lord? Well, the Bible says right over there that Epaphroditus was, and he was sick nigh to death because he disregarded his own body. His own life. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't seem like God's fair. Oh, yes, He is. He established natural laws as well as spiritual laws, and we're not to violate those laws. And what we sow is what we reap. How many of you know that we live more by the law of sowing and reaping than anything else? We don't live by the law of, of God's mercy gifts. Did you realize that? I mean, thank God for His mercy... And how much we've been helped by His mercy. But that's not the norm. In other words, if a person is going to sow bad things, eventually he's going to reap bad things. Can you say amen? amen. If a post person sows good things, eventually they will reap good things. True? Yeah. Absolutely. And so that is the mindset that we are supposed to have. In other words, I cannot even for the sake of the gospel overwork myself and neither can you. Physically. Because if we do, we can and will experience a physical breakdown. We are not to, to violate natural laws. And that includes a lot of different things, whether it be the law of rest or overeating and, and things, all these things. Everything is to be in moderation. And uh, in some cases, unless a person is willing to get some rest, they're not going to receive from the Lord. Epaphroditus was one who was not instantly healed. But I will say this. God did have mercy on Epaphroditus. Do you realize that? What does that mean? He didn't give him what he deserved. See, we deserve certain things for breaking and violating certain laws, but thank God that he does have mercy. But we just can't go on for the rest of our life thinking we can do it and God's mercy is going to show up every time. You see, we don't want to violate that, do we? Absolutely not. Okay. I want you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and we want to point out another reason why some don't receive healing from the Lord. Maybe a better way to say it is healing is blocked. And this is dealing with our emotional realm. And I, I, I want us to understand that our emotions also need to be dealt with supernaturally. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and we're going to look at we're going to begin at verse 32. Another reason why people sometimes don't get healed is because in some cases... Everybody say, in some cases. Notice I'm not saying in every case. I'm saying in some cases. And see, we've got to have balance. We've got to deal with everything, right? Okay. In some cases, there may be the presence of demon powers that have to be dealt with in order for the person to receive healing from the Lord. In some cases, there are demon powers present that have got to be dealt with before healing can be received. And so, in other words, if we don't deal with them, then they're going to continue to enforce the disease or the sickness in our bodies. Especially when it comes to emotional problems. If we don't recognize the presence of demon powers that are out there warring against our minds and fail to deal with them, 
then even though God has within His Word that we can have emotional peace, peace of mind and tranquility throughout all the length of days that we live upon this earth, we may not achieve that in our lives because we have failed to do something that properly connects the wires so that we keep that form and work of darkness out of our lives once and for all. And so it's very, 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 very important, beloved, that we understand this and then do our part. And once again, we're talking about things that will better help us understand how to deal with the forces that are coming against us in this life. And, you know, there are some people that I have mentioned like things like this to, and you know, they became highly irate and offended because you even suggest that they should have to deal with a demon. My goodness, if that's the case, you know what? I can tell you right now, any person that would become that highly offended because they have to deal with the demon is not living in the real spiritual world. As a matter of fact, I venture to say it this way. Satan has you exactly where he wants you. Because as long as you think that you're living in a, in, in a fairy tale world out here where there are no demon powers coming against you, something is wrong. You know, the Bible says that we war against these powers and these forces of darkness. Isn't that true? And so if we don't acknowledge that and do something about it, they are going to, to hold high carnival over our lives and we're just going to be defenseless and helpless. So it's important that we understand uh, the probability that we can have a demo demonic influence or power coming against us, whether it be in our mind or body. Look at verse 32. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. Now, here we see that there was the presence of an evil spirit that caused this man to be unable to speak. When the devil was cast out, the man was delivered and set free, and the people even marveled because they must have heard him speak. And before, he was never able to speak. But before the devil was dealt with, let's say the man was impaired. Isn't that true? But once the devil was dealt with, the man was free. Isn't that true? And so, in other words, let's put it this way. They could have maybe come up with all kinds of different surgical procedures. And they could have tried that. They could have come up with all kinds of, of medications and they could have tried that. But as long as there was the presence of this demonic, this dumb spirit, and you will notice that this dumb spirit causes an individual this particular problem in his life. So, as a result of it being there, unless it's dealt with, surgery wasn't going to correct the problem. Medicine was not going to correct the problem. The problem could only be corrected through spiritual powers. Can you see that? And so that's not the only case in which demon powers have got to be dealt with before a person is free, whether it be physically or emotionally. And we'll see that. Look at Matthew. You're in chapter 9. To look at chapter 8. And we want to point out some things that we should be aware of when it comes to dealing with demon powers. In Matthew 8, in verse 28, And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceeding fair, so that no man might pass that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, I want you to underline that, and I want you to make reference to this. Devils speak, demons speak. And I want us all to know that whether or not we're willing to admit it, devils and demons speak to people's minds. Didn't Jesus himself say to Judas that Satan had put that in his heart? Didn't, Ananias, didn't Peter say to Ananias that Satan had put that in his heart and mind? Okay, so where did these thoughts come from? These demon forces and powers speak to people's minds and beloved... Yes, it's true they can speak through other people. If they possess people, they can speak through their voices. But also from without, they can speak to a person's mind. Demon forces and powers can actually sit on a person's shoulder and speak into their ears certain things. I remember one instance 
when a man of God said that he saw in a vision a, a, a relative of his walking down the street. And as he was walking down the street, he says, I want to show you how demons operate. Now, I want you to watch. And he saw a demon come just like a little bird, sit right on his shoulder and said, I want you to light up a cigarette. The fellow, not seeing this, he's just walking down the street. Well, put, put his hand in his pocket, pulled out his cigarettes and lit up a cigarette. He says, now watch this. He, he spoke into the fellow's ear, I want you to cuss. Here's a guy walking down the street. He starts using foul language. He's walking down the street and the next one says, I want you to walk in that bar. The thought comes, he walks right into the bar. Demons speak. They speak to people's minds. And we have got to be aware of that. Because a lot of emotional problems that people have are demons from without speaking to people's minds and putting all kinds of thoughts that are intended to be seeds of oppression, depression, obsession that will control a person's mind. And he'll use the words of others or speak himself into people's ears to implant thoughts that eventually, if allowed to run their full course, will hold that person in bondage. So here we see that demons speak. And, the behold, and behold, they cried out saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? And if you'll read another uh, account of this in Mark's Gospel, they came and worshipped Him as if being very religious. They're going to worship Jesus. Actually, they didn't want Him to cast them out. They just tried to make up to Him, you know. Well... Another thought about demon spirits, since we mentioned that, is the fact that they are intelligent beings. Make note of that. They are intelligent beings. These demon powers know certain things that we need to be aware of. Art thou come hither to torment us? Notice the last three words. Before the time. What are they talking about? These demon spirits are intelligent beings. They know they have a certain amount of time to deal with the human race before they will finally be cast into the lake of fire which was prepared for Satan and his angels. And when Jesus came on the scene and began casting out devils and doing all that He did to heal the sick and all that, they began to say, are you come here to torment us before our allotted time has run out? What are you doing? See, they were intelligent enough to know that when Adam fell, Satan became the god of this world. And they knew as a result of the fall, Satan was able to enforce certain things, influences over people's lives because they were in his kingdom. They knew they had certain rights and privileges because of that authority that was given over to Lucifer, Satan. And so now they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Occupying the hearts and the minds of certain individuals who would allow them entrance. Dominating their lives and finding expression through their lives in this realm of life. Since they don't have physical bodies, in order to express themselves, they need our physical bodies. Now, a Christian cannot be possessed of a devil, but a Christian can be oppressed and obsessed. And so, in this case, the man was possessed of a devil, which means he was taking, taken over spirit, soul, and body. And so, he began to speak out, and they began to say, Art thou come to torment us before the time? They are intelligent beings, and they know their rights, and to do everything they can to see to it, they enforce their rights before they're cast into the lake of fire forever. Thirdly, they are afraid of Jesus and of those that know their authority as a Christian. Let's read on. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. 
So the devils besought him. Why? They were afraid of him. These devils and demon powers are afraid of Jesus Christ and they are afraid of those that know their authority and know how to use the name over them. God wants us to learn how to deal with these demon powers so that we can be free from their influence and their effect over our lives. They can cause emotional problems in people's lives. They can cause physical problems in people's lives. And it's not a matter just of healing. It's a matter of dealing with these demon powers before some can be set free. They don't like being around those that know that Satan has been defeated. Aren't you glad you know? A fourth thing about demon powers. You ready for this one? They resist surrender. And they besought him saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. In other words, we don't really want to go. Remember the one that tore the fellow? The fellow brought his son and his son was, was a lunatic and he would cast himself into the fire, into the water, try to kill himself and take his life. And Jesus cast him out, told him to leave, but before he left, he tormented the man. You will notice that these demons do not like to surrender their place of occupancy. In other words, they become comfortable where they're at. If that means sitting on somebody's shoulder and telling that person what to do so that that person, so that they, through that person, will let's say, express themselves in this life. You know, they'll, they'll want to stay there and do that continuously, continually, over and over again. If they find a place in a person's body and it causes them to have an arthritic condition in their body as a result of that presence in a person's body, they do not want to leave that place. They don't want to surrender occupancy. Why? They are comfortable there. They long to be there. They want to be there. And so, beloved, we've got to realize and recognize the fact that we have got to be forceful. The violent take what's be what belongs to them. How? By force. We have got to recognize how obstinate they really are. And we can't try. I'm going to try. You can't try when it comes to resisting and casting out the devil. It's a matter of Learning our authority and beloved, please make note of this. If you have never read Brother Hagin's book, The Believer's Authority, I feel so bad for you. I really do. Because it's one of the most important things you'll ever learn as a Christian. We have got to have faith in our authority. Because you see, these demon powers are not just going to go because you said, shoo away. Shoo shoo. Get away. You've got to be more violent than when you talk to your kids. You've got to be more authoritative than when you talk to your children or the puppy dog that doesn't want to listen. You follow me? Because these forces will challenge you. They want to stay on your shoulder. They want to stay in your ear. They want to stay in a physical body. They want to, to remain in that place of occupancy. They don't want to surrender their hold over a person's life. And will do everything they possibly can. They'll even plea bargain. Like they did here with Jesus. Well, if you cast us out, please let us go away into the herd of swine. In other words, if we can't stay in this man's body, then let us go into the herd of swine. They want a place of occupancy. Can you see that? And they've got to be dealt with. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the water. 
And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. I mean, these people were absolutely overwhelmed by this thing. They knew this man. They saw this man in his right mind, completely healed, delivered and set free. Let me make another statement. That man was never going to be helped through surgery. He could never be helped through medicine. Beloved, I'm going to say that again. I realize and recognize the need for people to have medical attention. And we are not at all addressing medical attention. Can you understand that? If you need to go to a doctor, if you need to go to a hospital, you know, I'll go with you. We'll all go together. God wants us all help. But what I'm saying is there are certain conditions that medical science cannot help. Ever. If there is that presence that has got to be dealt with spiritually, that's the only way the person can be helped. There was a particular girl who had lost a lot of weight. As a result, she went to see the doctor. They diagnosed her as having lung cancer and it was spreading. They said it would spread very shortly and she would have cancer in both lungs. She was told to have the operation immediately and she said, no, I need time to pray about it. And they said, you can't take long because if you do, it's going to spread throughout your body. And she made the decision to to pray about it and stay before the Lord. And when she went back, she told them, my decision is that I will not have surgery. I choose to believe God. She wanted to know what her chances were for survival. And they said, without the operation, you know, not very long with the operation, maybe a, a year or two longer. That was the scenario. She said, I'm going to go God's way only. I don't want anything except God's way. She went to these particular meetings and she was prayed for umpteen times. Umpteen times. Until finally, right before the meeting closed out, she was taken. And I mean, she was just carried. By this time it had spread. I mean, she was in a a terrible situation. She was like a skeleton, a walking skeleton with skin stretched over And she went to the meeting. They had to hold her up and carry her, take her to the meeting. And finally, when this was at a Brother Hagen meeting, finally, he said, when when I went to pray for her this time, God took me into the spirit world. And in the spirit world, I saw a monkey-like imp on her lung, hanging from her lung. And when he saw those spirits, he knew they had to be dealt with for this girl to recover. I mean, she was in the throes of death. You can't cut that out with a surgical knife. You can't push it out with any kind of medication. Can you understand this? So once again, we are not disregarding medical science, but we're saying that medical science is limited and cannot do these certain things. And so, he told the devil that he was going to have to leave. And you know what the devil said? I know if you you tell me to, I have to, but I really don't want to. Now, Now listen to this carefully. That devil wanted to stay there. And stay there. And would have stayed there until the body died. Then it would have sought inhabiting someone else's body. Can you see how they operate? In other words, he was comfortable there and wanted to stay there. He don't don't like to move. Too much trouble. And so they would wait until the person actually died. And then, that's why sometimes it's not good to be, you know, in certain places when people die. They'll try to find the first body they could find. I remember walking into a hospital one time. And as I did. Now, now, you know, spiritual things are hard to explain. You know that when spiritual things happen, it's hard to explain. The more I look at it, I I recognize that somebody probably died. Because as I walked through that, it was at the medical center. As I walked through the the corridor, I mean to tell you, something hit me at the top of my head. Just, just came over me, and I recognize it as being an evil presence. And I knew I had to rebuke it. It hit you like somebody threw a bucket of water on you, or like somebody just took their their top coat or something, and just threw it on top of your head. You know how it would feel when it lands on you. And I knew it was real. I knew it was spiritual. Somebody could have died in the hospital and, and, and had a demon, and that spirit would seek embodiment in someone else. They don't care who. 
And if you don't do anything as a Christian to resist it, they'll try to get in your body. And they'll try to influence your life. Can you see that? I said, no, you don't. You'll have to find somebody else. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And it had to leave. So we have to understand that uh, these particular demon spirits have got to be dealt with in order for some people to be delivered and set free. I want you to look at another uh, particular verse of Scripture in Matthew 12. You're close by, Matthew 12. We have got to know our authority and we've got to know when we're dealing with them because, like I said, emotionally speaking, it's difficult because people don't recognize that many of the thoughts that come to their minds are coming from these demon forces without. And don't do anything to cast down thoughts and imaginations. And I'm talking about in an authoritative way. Not just in a, you know, casual way, but in an authoritative way. And, and say, I refuse that thought in Jesus' name. You've got to make it clear that you, your, your sign is out in your front yard that says no occupancy. Can you understand that? You ever drive by a hotel and the sign says occupancy, no occupancy? No occupancy. That means you, devil. Make it loud and clear. Neon lights. Bold print. But if we just go on and accept it and take it and let them, you know, dominate our thinking, influence our lives, they'll run havoc over a person's life. Christian or no Christian. If you don't know your authority, can you understand that? They're waiting to see whether or not you know your authority. They want a place to live. They're looking for shelter. It's getting cold outside. In Matthew 12, we have a, a tremendous revelation. Beloved, please, please look at these scriptures. Verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. If a person has had a problem with the devil in a particular area, whether it be possession, obsession, or oppression, even depression, and that devil is finally dealt with, that devil will go into dry places seeking rest and finding none. What does it mean, seeking rest? Seeking embodiment. To try to find another place where it can finally... Put his hat on the hook and say, this is my home. He finds none. Now listen carefully. Then he saith, I will return into my house. You know, he's calling somebody's body or somebody's mind his house. If that doesn't get your dander up, I don't know what will. His house? Can you see that? In other words, he was reigning over that person's life. He had a place in that person's life, mind, body, whatever. And he said, that's my house. From whence I came out, and when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Now listen carefully. He sees that the person did not fill his life back up with good things, with spiritual things, with the power of God, the Word of God, the Holy Ghost, understanding of the name of Jesus, all these good things that we are to fill our lives with. He finds out they didn't do anything about their spiritual condition. They've not improved spiritually. They've not gotten any stronger spiritually. You know, sometimes, beloved, we will do a person an injustice to cast the devil out unless we teach them the Word of God. That's the truth. Because look at what he does. He comes back and he checks out the place. First, he finds it empty, swept, garnished, and then goeth he. Do you ever notice the procedure here? He goes and checks out the house, and then he goes and takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. He calls for reinforcements. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. 
Imagine that. If there was a devil that was enforcing the disease in a person's life, and you know, sometimes we talk about when symptoms try to come back on us. Do I have everybody's undivided attention right now? Whether it be emotionally or whether it be physically, when we've had these things and we said, I rebuke you and we've cast them out, I want you to know something. We talk about a counterattack, a counterattack. And you know, in the, in the natural world and even sometimes in the spiritual world, Christians will say this. Oh, that's a, that's a bunch of garbage. What, what are you talking about? A counterattack. You make an excuse. You said you were healed. Now you don't feel well. And you're just making an excuse. What does this scripture teach right here? You got victory in an area of your life. There will come a counterattack. Are you listening? There will come a counterattack. Satan will come back to find out if we did anything to get stronger spiritually. And if we haven't, better look out. Because he's going to tap that area of your life even harder. He's going to attack that area with more intensity. Can you see that? It is so important, beloved, that we deal with these things and then get stronger spiritually. And don't hesitate. Sometimes there's not even time to rejoice in your, and celebrate in your victory. Say, thank God for my victory. Give me the word. Get right into it. Can you see that? So important. Also, in Acts, write these down. We don't have time. In Acts 19, verses 13 through 16, demons recognize those that have power over them. Remember when the seven sons of Sceva went to cast out the devil that was in this one man? And the devil cried out, Jesus I know. Paul, I know, but who are you? Remember that? Who in the world are you? Know your authority and let them know that you know their authority and they'll know that you know your authority and they'll know you. Someone says, you mean the devil knows you? Yes, he does. He knows you and you should be proud of that. Can you see that? He'd be looking and saying, who are you? Well, I'm a child of the king, and i got power over you. That's who I am. An heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus, and I have the right to use Jesus' name over you. That's who I am. Nice to know you. <laughs> Acts 10, 38. Number 7 about demons says that they are directly or indirectly behind all disease. Now, notice... Notice carefully, directly or indirectly behind all disease. That verse says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Everyone that Jesus healed, the Bible says, was oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. So we need to know in dealing with these devils and demons that all sickness and all disease is called satanic oppression. And when I say directly, I'm talking about in Luke 13, the woman that had a spirit of infirmity, rheumatoid arthritis, that was directly. There was a spirit there present in that woman's body and bones that caused her physical condition. That's directly. Indirectly means there are germs out there in this world that are the result of evil life. How many know there's only good and evil? God life and satanic life. And you will not find a German God. You will not find any bacteria coming from the throne of God. But when man fell, he opened up his life to the kingdom of what? Darkness and then germs, sickness, disease, germs, Bacteria began to grow. And the life form behind that bacteria is Satan himself. His kingdom, his spirit. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart 
that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.